Jesus would begin to teach. Um, and the interesting thing about that, that is pretty intuitive when you think about it, but maybe um, you've never actually thought about it, is Jesus was speaking to, for this, these, these series of teachings, a pretty religiously informed group, which meant that as Jesus spoke and as Jesus taught, um, he was talking to a group of people who knew God, who were aware of some things about God, probably had some kind of religious upbringing. Um, Many of them were extraordinarily familiar with the Old Testament. But as Jesus taught, and maybe as Jesus interacted with the crowd, um, he would talk to them and teach them, and maybe understand that perhaps there's some things about God um, that they weren't too familiar with. And that's an interesting concept. And what that means, essentially, is this. Perhaps many of us are familiar with God, But in our familiarity with God, there's some things that we've missed. Because it's like Jesus walked around and talked and as he he interacted with people. And he would teach in these parables. The essence of a teacher as a teacher is probably teaching you something that you don't know. Or they're refining in you something that maybe you know but have gotten just slightly off. It's kind of like in any class you've gone into. There are very few classes, especially as you get towards you know, the upper end of school, college, grad school, you know, perhaps your PhD, where you're in a class and it's all information that you already know. If you have a coach, the reason that you have a coach is to help you more accurately do your craft, whatever your craft is. If it's like a life coach, that means that you have some weird things going on in life, you know, and you need to get better at life. And so the life coach, if it's a, you know, growing up and you're a football coach, or you had a baseball coach, is there was some stuff that you missed perhaps fundamentally? Or there was some, there was some, maybe some advanced techniques. If you got a workout coach, if you, if you are a part of the incredible cult that we call CrossFit, you know, then you know that there's a lot of Olympic lift things that you need coaching on. Um, but whatever realm it is, the idea is a teacher teaches new or perhaps misconstrued information. And what's interesting is as we go through this, there is a lot of presumptions, there is a lot of prepackaged thoughts of what we know about God. But Jesus would start almost every parable with this statement. The kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. And then as he would launch into an explanation of what the kingdom of God was like, he would take an earthly idea, an idea that most people were at their time were familiar with, and as he launched and unpacked the idea, there were spiritual implications to this earthly concept. But as he would say the kingdom of God is like, essentially what he was saying is this. The movement of God, the power of God, the authority of God, God's plan for redemption, God's plan for his power and his authority, God's plan for forgiveness, God's plan to overcome evil, God's plan to relate to humanity is like. God's interaction with you and I are like. God's kingdom is like. And the implications of that, again, are huge. Because that assumes that perhaps... There are some things about God. There are some things about the way that God works. There are some things about the way that God moves on the earth or the idea of God or the character of God or the judgment of God. That perhaps for all of us, we were raised in ways to think and ways to believe, but perhaps we have missed. And the one we're going to talk about this morning as Jesus launches into a parable, I think is one of the most extraordinary ways to start off anything. And of course, that's the way that Jesus would start his kingdom of God parables in Matthew chapter 13. And it's, it's simply this. How do you evaluate, how do you evaluate your relationship with God? How do you evaluate your relationship with God? Um, when I was in youth ministry, I, had a, I have a long background in youth ministry, and we would oftentimes ask students this, hey, how are you doing spiritually? How are you doing spiritually? You know how you're doing in school, you know how you're doing 
perhaps, you know, whatever sports you play. But how are you doing spiritually? And depending on the, the student that we would ask that, everyone would define that differently. Some people would define that, or some students would define that. I'm doing well spiritually, which meant I've had my quiet times, you know, five out of the last seven days, or three out of the last seven days, or I have never read my Bible before in, the, in my life, you know, on my own. I mean, I read it in church. I knew I was supposed to read it, but actually taking home and opening the scriptures for myself. I mean, I did that for the first time, and so spiritually, I am doing very, very well. Some people would define that how often they served. Some people would define that with how much they knew. In other words, they felt like the people who were doing very well spiritually were the people who knew the Bible best. And perhaps for some of us, you know, you kind of bought into that thought and that idea that the people who are solid in the church are the people who know the most Bible. But what you and I both know is this. There's a lot of people who know a lot of Bible but aren't very much like Jesus. Some of us, you know, you kind of think about how are you doing spiritually? And the thought is, The person who knows the most complex theological vocabulary is the person who is the most in tune with the heart of God. And what's interesting is is we are, by nature, almost born with intuitive inside of us is this desire to know how we're doing. To have the idea of evaluation deeply embedded inside of us in the sense of, of truthful happiness in other words, we constantly in life, and especially in today's you know, culture, and this isn't like an anti thing, it's just an observation. We love feedback. We love to know how we're doing. We love to understand how we're doing. This is why social media is so wildly popular. I want you to imagine Instagram without likes, you know? It'd just be like, sweet, there's a picture of somebody else, you know? But let's be honest, I feel cool, you feel cool if I like PR my click likes. You know what I'm saying? Like, if my previous high was like 37 and I just got 39, I'm like, man, I am freaking somebody today, you know? If, if I post, now let, me just, let me just be honest, about you know, a week and a half ago, um, well, my wife and I are, are pregnant with a, a little baby boy, which we've told you many of you guys about, so you guys are, you know, well familiar and you don't have to clap, but you can. So, anyways, so we, you know, posted that we're having a baby boy just because we forget who we have told and haven't told, and, and, and as I'm sitting there, you know, and you post it, and you say, okay, I'm just going to, you know, write this out because everybody needs to know, obviously, that we're having a kid. So I posted online, and let me just tell you, we got a lot of likes, we got a lot of comments, you know, congratulations, awesome, you know, and then somebody's just spiritual, you know, baby Kimfer is so loved. You know, and that whole thing. Let me, let, me just, let me just be honest. As I'm sitting there watching the likes, you know, kind of rack up and rack up, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, bring it, people. You bring it, people. And then there's something inside of you that says, like, okay, I got this many likes, but that's only like 20% of the 100%. So where's the other 80%, people? You know what I mean? Like, who saw that I'm having a kid and didn't even take the time to click like? Like, this is my child, and we're friends, Facebook standards. So on the other side of that, if I posted it and got, like, 10 likes, I'd be like, I think the world hates me, you know? Nobody likes me, everybody hates me, think I'm going to eat some. Oh my gosh, you guys didn't know that? All right, just, uh, let me tell you, if you're new to our church, when I say that, that means you finish the sentence, okay? The end of that sentence is worms, so let me run that back. Nobody likes me, everybody hates me, think I'm going to eat some. Thank you, at least I don't feel like I'm alone up here. So, we all have this sense of, of, of evaluation and feedback to help us to know how we're doing. In fact, if, if you're in the, 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 the business and the for-profit world, even the non-profit world, um, you've probably you know, maybe heard of these studies that have come out recently that say, essentially, job satisfaction and job happiness. Job satisfaction and job happiness. There is as high, if not higher, of a correlation between employees' happiness and job satisfaction due to their understanding of how they're doing in their job as there is to compensation. In other words, 
people, intrinsic inside of us, innate inside of us, is this idea to want to know how in the world are we doing? And in a job sense, I would be almost as happy, if not more happy, to know exactly how I'm doing and that I'm doing a good job as I would to have a 10% pay increase. Now, the problem is, when it comes to spiritual life, it is very difficult to, get, to gauge how you're doing. It is very difficult to gauge, am I making progress? In a workout, I know if I'm making progress. My deadlift, I know if I'm making progress. My mile run, which I hate, I know if I'm making progress. Work, if I'm making more money, if the bottom line, if the profit and loss statement. Relationships, maybe if we're growing together. But in a spiritual sense, it is very, very difficult to engage or to gauge and to tell in an evaluation sense, how am I doing spiritually. And so as Jesus launches in in Matthew chapter 13, he begins to unpack how you and I can know and how you and I can have a basic idea of how we're doing spiritually, not based on perhaps our performance. So Matthew chapter 13, if you've got your Bible, you can open up to that. The parable of the sower. Now Matthew sets a little bit of a scene for us as he's launching into this, these, these ideas of parables. He says, chapter 13, verse 1, that same day Jesus went out and that's after Jesus got done hanging out with his mothers and brothers. So he had a little family time. That same day, Jesus went out to the house, went out of the house, and sat beside the seat, where I'm sure he Instagrammed and said, My God is an artist. And he told them many things in parable. I'm sorry. And a great crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Now, this is like, you know, in, in a ministry sense, this is like the goal that Jesus goes and like sits beside the sea, and he's just watching, and people start to gather. They've heard of him. People, more people start to gather. More people start to gather, and they want to hear what Jesus has to say. And so a large crowd gathers. And so Jesus has this idea that if I'm going to talk to these people, I can't talk to them just standing here and so i'm gonna actually go out in a boat on the sea this is an interesting just how this would even work functionally i don't know but jesus is in a boat and begins to teach this big crowd that's now gathered to hear him talk and he says this and he told them many things in parables saying a sower went in to sow or went out to sow and as he sowed some seeds fell along the path. Now, pause. A sower is someone who basically puts seeds out there. Because I know a lot of times when I think, you know, a sower went out. I'm thinking my grandma who hemmed my pants when I was little. But when he said sower, they understood, you know, just because of their culture, that this was a person whose job was to go plant. This was a person whose job was to take the seed that they have been given and go and put them in a particular area. Now, pause. A thing you need to know about parables is parables were meant basically to make one central point, one central idea, one central thought process. And oftentimes pastors will look at this thing and say, oh my gosh, here's all this. Then we'll you know, kind of examine all the details. When Jesus talked, he had one basic point. And along that one basic point, here was the idea. One of this person's or one of these people is God. And one of the people in the parables or one of the groups in the parables or one of the, the things in the parables is us. And they would all look at that through the idea of one idea one central lesson to be learned, and something's God, and something's us, and in that, there's something for us to learn. So he would say, the sower went out, and he sowed. Some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately, they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. 
And since they had no root, they withered away. And other seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And he who has ears, let him hear. Now, here was the interesting thing about when Jesus taught, just, just, just for clarity. Oftentimes people will say that when Jesus taught in parables, he taught in a way that would really bring clarity to this heavenly principle. And the fascinating thing about Jesus' communication is to some people, this was incredibly enlightening. And to some people, this was incredibly frustrating. Because as you know, and as I know, when we hear someone talk, we want to know not only the content, but how the content impacts our lives. And I want you to imagine that Jesus is here on a Sunday morning. And you're sitting there ready and maybe you've been praying, you know, coming to church, and you heard, you know, Jesus is coming on Sunday. I don't know if that, I don't, I don't even know what we would do if we heard Jesus was, like, physically going to be here. Easter Sunday, 2017, one, our building wouldn't be near big enough. It's not really big enough now, but it, it wouldn't be even close. You know, we'd all come. We'd want to hear what Jesus had to say, and, you know, what's he going to talk about, perhaps? You know, whatever we would be talking about. I don't even know if we'd be talking if it was Jesus was going to be here. We'd be, like, all walking, like, oh, is it real? So Jesus walks in and said, there was a sower. And as he sowed, which is what sowers do, he threw some on, you know, some hard soil. He threw some on some rocky soil. He threw some on some soil, and the stuff got choked out by a bunch of stuff. And on top of that, he threw some on some good soil. And soil that was good, it kind of grew by, you know, 100 or 60 or 30 percent or times. And so he who has ears, let him hear. Many of us would just sit there for weeks and kind of unpack the meaning. And some of us would be like, that's the most ridiculous thing, Jesus. I don't know if you know how church works, but we want to know, so what does this mean to our life? So how does this impact us? And for Jesus, when he would talk to a crowd, for some people it would just be incredibly clarifying, and for some people it would be incredibly frustrating because he would have almost no application to his parables. Because Jesus, as he spoke in parables was never interested in this gigantic crowd. He was interested in the people who really wanted to know. The people who would be willing to perhaps come up to him afterwards and say, so what in the heck did that mean? And so a little bit later on, in fact, Jesus kind of unpacks that in the next couple of verses and says, you know, I'm actually doing this on purpose so that, you know, some people they'll get it and some people that they won't, so that some people hearing, they'll hearing that they won't hear and seeing they won't see. And that's kind of an intentional move on my part. But, but, but let me just unpack this first one for you. He goes on in chapter 13, verses 18 and on. He says, here then, and this is one of the only times he does this, here then the par- is the parable of the sower. In other words, so let me tell you, kind of as like a cheat sheet for round one, because there's going to be a ton of other rounds on this. Let me give you some, uh, some understanding on how you are to interpret what in the world I just said. Now, pause. Some of you have heard this before. Some of you have heard this parable if you grew up in church and you know what this parable means and you know all the things and all the intricacies and all the details. But again, perhaps for us, the reason that Jesus gave this parable is though we thought we knew God, though we thought we completely understood God, there are some things about God that God himself wants to clarify. So he says this. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. In other words, he says, okay, so let me kind of 
put a couple pieces together. When anyone hears the word, so the word is the seed, so God is the one who's throwing all the seed out there. God is basically casting his word out. And there's four different categories of people who will hear this word. And the first group of the people who hear his word, they don't understand it. And the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. And that was sown along the path. Number two, and as for the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, and immediately he falls away. Let me me just kind of tell you. When you hear the story of Jesus, when you hear of the kingdom of God, when you hear the word of God, when you hear this idea that God came as a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, when you hear the idea that God in and of himself saw the world in its sinful state and did not decide to withhold himself but gave his one and only son and that his one and only son would be the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament and he would see the sins of the world, not count the sins of the world against him, but die to make it right, but die to give us a, 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 a justification and die to give us reconciliation with God. That when God saw me and you, he didn't hold our sins against us, but he died for us. Because fundamentally, because of our sin and because of his holiness, we are incompatible with God. And he says, and so some of you, when you hear that, it's just, okay, I hear it, I understand it, I've heard it since I was 13 years old, I've heard it since I was 10 years old, it just doesn't impact me that much. She doesn't really make a difference. And Jesus says, okay, let me tell you, that's going to happen. He said, and then there's a second group that you hear it and you receive it and you're excited about it. But there just aren't many roots. There just isn't this system of infrastructure that as soon as you hear it and as soon as something bad happens, as soon as you face a little persecution, as soon as, and when, we say, when they say persecution and we say persecution, there was a very, very different connotation to this idea of persecution. To, for them, it was an incredible persecution that they would you know, subsequently face in the early church. For us, it's kind of this idea of, hey, as soon as the call of God on your life costs you something, you are out. As soon as the decision to follow Jesus begins to cost your personal life, begins to cost your relationships, begins to actually cost something of you, then you're out. You receive it with incredible excitement at first, and you're excited about it, and oh my gosh, God would do that for me. But because of the soil, he would say, because there's no depth, because there's no root there, and you hear it, and you get excited about it, and then you dismiss it. And you just said, let me tell you, that's going to happen. He said, then there's a third group. Verse 22 asks, for what was sown among the thorns? This is the one. This is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of richness, riches choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. Now, let me, let me just pause and say, 
for many of us, we hear number one, we kind of know some people that are number one. Many of us, we hear some people that are, you know, we hear number two, and we said, okay, you know, I got some examples of the people, man, when they first, you know, became a Christian, when they first understood Jesus, when they first understood the gospel, they were just, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, 100 miles an hour, and then two weeks later, it was like, I've never heard of Jesus. We know that person, but, but let me just tell you, for the church, blanket, you know, just assessment, many of us are in category three, that we hear the word, we hear about God's goodness, we hear about God's graciousness, we hear about God's love, we hear about God's forgiveness. And we see the word, and we receive it. We receive his truth, we receive the gospel, we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But what happens isn't that that seed and that root necessarily disappears. It just gets choked out by everything else that competes for your time and your attention in life. And there is no real sense of fruit that happens as a result of it. Because, let's be honest, the nature of life is busy. The nature of life is a nature that you, almost all the time, no matter where you are in life, are, are balancing multiple things. Let me tell you, in my life, this is incredibly easy. If you don't know much about me, on a nine-to-five basis, I, I, I run a meat company. My family owns a meat company. It's called Registers Sausage. It was a sausage company, really. And I work nine to five doing that. On top of that, you know, I don't know if you know, but I pastor a church. And on top of that, you know, I have a wife and I have kids. And on top of that, I have a passion for Florida State football. And I have a passion for a bunch of different things. And, 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 and in the busyness of life, let me just tell you, it is so incredibly easy. And not that you shouldn't do all those things because, in fact, God has called you to many of those things. God has called you to be fruitful in many of those things. But it is easy to let the care and the worry of those things choke. The fruitfulness that God has, in fact, placed you in those places for. So it goes on to this fourth category. Verse 23, And as for what was sown in the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another, 60. In another, 30. And so there's a third category. Or there's a fourth category, I'm sorry. And in this fourth category, there's a group of people who you hear the word, that you hear what God's you know, message, you hear the message of the kingdom of God, you hear the story of the gospel, you interact and interface with the scriptures, you spend time in prayer, and as you do that, it takes root in your heart and it changes you as a person. As Paul would kind of unpack this in 2 Corinthians, he would say, man, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And Jesus would say that in a different way where he would say, hey, it's like this fruit that comes up. That as this word takes root, you are changed. There is gospel change in your life as you realize the love of God and the person of God and the spirit of God has entered into your heart. Now the interesting thing, in all of this, is that Jesus' understanding, Jesus' indicator, is not what you do, but the soil of your heart. In other words, how Jesus would look at this is not to say, hey, so you should try to be more fruitful. 
You should try everything that you can do to rid all the, the weeds out. You should do everything you can do to try to, you know, till up the soil. I mean, that, that, that stuff's important. But let me, let me just tell you, what I am concerned with, what I am concerned with, when I look at your spiritual lives, when I look at all of the things that I see, when I look at humanity in and of itself, let me tell you what I'm concerned with. I am concerned with your heart. Because your heart will determine your fruitfulness. Your heart will determine your fruitfulness. It is the determination, the level of compatibility, the level of acceptance of the soil itself, of the hearts of men themselves, that will determine how fruitful we are. And that fruitfulness springs up in a plethora of different ways. Let me just tell you. When God looks at you and God looks at me, and if we were to ask God, God, give me an evaluation about how am I doing, you know what he would look at? He wouldn't look at your Bible reading, but that's important. He wouldn't look at your level of service, so that's important. He wouldn't look at your theological vocabulary, but that's important. He wouldn't look at all the things, the, ex- the external uh, motivators and the external thoughts and the external ideas that we have. He would look at your heart and say, how's your heart? How's your heart? Is the soil of your heart in such a way that you get so excited about God? But then as soon as anything comes up, you haven't allowed really that depth to grow? Is the soil of your heart in such a way that you have so many other things and so many other cares and so many other worries that you don't allow things to grow? Well, is the soil of your heart good? And you can tell the soil of your heart's good because when you look at your life, there's obvious fruit that's happened. There's obvious change that's happened. There's obvious productivity that has happened in your heart, in life. You see, Proverbs chapter 4, Solomon talks about this. If you don't know Solomon, Solomon's a guy who wrote a couple different books in the Old Testament. And as he's talking, Solomon was, is, is known to be the wisest man in the world. In fact, kings would come for thousands and thousands of miles to hear Solomon just talk. Because Solomon himself was a king as well. And leaders, people... Other nations would come and just want to learn from Solomon. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, and honestly, a verse that we grossly misuse, he would say, guard your heart. Guard your heart. And we take that in like a boyfriend and girlfriend sense, which we kind of have a a sexual purity slant toward, like guard my heart, don't go that far, which is also obviously important. But, uh, But what he means by that is, hey, guard your heart. Pay attention to what's going into your heart. Pay attention to what your heart has inside of it because from it is the wellspring of life. In other words, everything you do, everything you are, everything you say flows from the condition of your heart. And let me just tell you, God is more concerned with the condition of your heart than he is with the amount of Bible verses that you know, the amount of theology that you know. He's more concerned with that than how many times that you serve, how many times that you greet, the community group that you attend. All of those things are absolutely important and absolutely critical to you continuing to grow. But let me just tell you, you can do all of those things and have a bad heart. And it does not impress God one bit. So let me ask you this question. How is your heart this morning?
Not how are your actions. Not how is your level of religious activity. Because here's, here's the honest truth. Every time we gather together, I know that anybody at any point in time can put on a happy face and smile. And I have absolutely no clue what's going on in anybody's heart except for mine. And the tragedy that I think of what happens is that we never really take an honest assessment. How's your heart? How's your heart? I would love if the rhythm of our church, if every single night you went to bed and your question wasn't, did I have my quiet time today? It's, how's my heart today? Honestly, how's my heart today? Would my heart be described in a way as when Jesus taught through this? Man, the Word of God just so deeply indwelled inside of my heart today that it produced so much fruit. I mean, I was loving in areas that I normally would never have been loving before. I was forgiving in places that I never would have been forgiving before. I was, you know, unafraid of my faith. I was unashamed of my faith in places that I would have tried to hide my faith before. There were times when I was so generous when what's normal inside of me is not generosity. There was this obvious and apparent transformation that happened inside of me and it wasn't because I I decided to try harder it was because the soil of my heart today was so for God was so tender to God that it produced fruit that wouldn't really be there (laughs) I'll just tell you you can have all the religious activity in the world and perhaps for you growing up perhaps for you as an adult There was a time, or maybe even currently now, the misunderstanding that we have with God, the reason this parable is absolutely critical is because we have such an incredible tendency to evaluate our spiritual lives through the lens of religious activity. And God would look at us this morning and say, I am concerned with your heart. Is your soil good? Or do the cares choke it out? Is there no real depth to it? Or does it fall on just seed or on tough ground and never really take root? Let me just just tell you. We are a group. When I say we, I think it's common for us to want to see God do something extraordinary through us and in us. I think it's common. For God to want to do something, for us to want to see God see something extraordinary in our community. For God to see, you know, to see God reach people, to see God grow his kingdom. Let me just tell you, that is directly proportionate to the soil of our heart. So guard your heart, guard your heart, guard your heart. Pay attention to what comes into you. Pay attention to the condition of your heart. The interesting thing about this is the application for this one Jesus didn't give, which is kind of frustrating and annoying. He just kind of moved on from this. So this is what this means. That's okay. So Jesus, so what do I do? Do I read more? Do I pray more? Here's what's interesting about this. The application for this for every single person is different because every single person's heart is different. The first thing to understand is simply to know and acknowledge where is my heart? How is my heart? What is the soil of my heart right now? And know That the Spirit of God and the Word of God, as Reggie talked about last week, will guide us 
and how to continually guard our hearts. But it's first determined by us doing some self-assessment and simply saying, how is my heart today? So here's what I want you to do with all this. I want you to go home tonight. And I would love for this to be a life pattern. But I want you to, for the next seven days, before you go to bed or when you wake up in the morning, I want you to simply pray this prayer and ask this question. Say, God, how is my heart today? God, how do you see my heart today? And God, will you please, in whatever category you find yourself in, God, would you please make me the great soil? Would you please condition my heart? Show me what to do. Give me understanding. Give me wisdom. Give me the knowledge to know what to do. Because I want my heart to be for you and to be of the good soil so that your kingdom will come and so that fruit will happen. Because as much as we want to do incredible things for God, as much as we want to make a difference for God, make an impact for God, it will never happen if the soil of our heart is not right. But imagine if a group this size, if a group this size, if, if the most unproductive of us did something for God that was 30 times multiplied. I mean, the, the, not, not, not like the, the, the incredible person, not the, you know, the, the standard or the example. I'm talking about the least productive did 30 times. How much of an impact would that make? How much of a difference would we see if the least productive was 30, but then there was some with 60, and then there was some with 90, and then there was some with 100 times what we thought was possible? It'd be pretty different. But it simply starts by you asking the question and me asking the question, how is the soil of my heart? Because that is the beginning of the evaluation of God looking at us and saying, here's how I want you to begin to gauge your relationship with me. How is your heart? How is your heart? How is your heart? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much. God, so often that we get this confused, we try to evaluate ourselves, we try to evaluate our our relationship with you based on our religious activity, based on our own righteous acts. God, but we know what you're ultimately concerned with is the soil of our heart, the receptivity of our heart, the depth of our heart being completely for you, being completely with you. So God, would you make in those of us who need it this morning a new heart, a clean heart, a pure heart, a heart that is completely open to your word. God, would you, as we receive your word, as we receive your word this morning, as we receive when we go home and we study your word, as we go into community groups and we study your word and we learn about your word, God, would you allow that to so deeply penetrate our hearts and the soil of our hearts to be so good, it would have no choice but to just multiply, multiply, multiply the fruit that you are creating and working inside of us. God, I pray that you would change our communities change our friend groups, change our our jobs, change our families as your word, as your gospel, as your truth gets so deeply implanted inside of us that it grows and grows and grows. And God, so for the next seven days, will you not let us go to bed at night without asking the question, how was my heart today. God, as we pray that, will you give us the wisdom to know what to do? The wisdom to know what to do with the information and the courage to do it. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.